Welcome to the Old Chats Pod with me, Amesha here. And me, James Factor. This podcast will tackle the taboo topic of mental health in a raw, honest and jovial way. With two good mates who've met in London talking about their own mental health hiccups with some help from some special guests along the way. Welcome to episode 20. This is the Lieutenant Commander Chat. Here we speak to Charlotte Fredrickson about her role in the Navy, gender roles within the workplace, and questions around misogyny in light of the Sarah Everard incident. Well, James. Hello. How have you been over the past few weeks? I think the world's starting to open up in a few days. Um, pretty, pretty good, actually, yeah. Not too bad at all. I think with the, the focus now on getting out, Easier to just wait, isn't it? For a few more weeks. It's not far. Yeah. We're in the, well, I think we're in the home straight. See some light at the end of the tunnel. I actually spoke to Dan Casey last night and he, he had a very good point. He was like, the way he's attacking it just on like a week by week basis, which, which is great. Like, don't want to look too far ahead and like planning for stuff. But yeah, it's actually quite a good way of going about it. I think there is a risk of looking that too far ahead and especially no one knows what every other country is going to be like when it gets to summer and we might be the only ones. So I'm not planning anything major in the future. How you been? You been all right? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, same thing. I've like ups and downs. So um, it's quite good, actually. I finished, I said I was doing trauma therapy. I finished that a few weeks ago. So that was quite good. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was actually really good. It was quite, um, it's quite eye-opening, but because it's basically going through going through and processing like, events in your life that have been obviously quite traumatic you haven't dealt with it it's quite dark in places but it's kind of had to be done I think that's quite a lot of, a lot of things with mental health I think people are scared of kind of confronting the demons which is it is scary but then it's like anything the harder it is I, I think the harder it is the greater the benefits afterwards how do you um, how do you feel is that an, do you think immediate or do you think that will just come with with time and reflect, it must be a long, a longer process than yeah. Weeks. Like it's kind of like they give you the tools and it's up to you to kind of use them. Because I've always said like, I think therapy is fantastic, and it's just a personal thing. Is that I wouldn't want therapy like every week for the rest of my life. I, I don't want to try yeah. and you just try and do it yourself. That's just a per- some people do, which is fine, but this is just how I've kind of attacked it. And just they give you tools which work and stuff in the, in the background yourself. So they go through it and then with those tools, would you sort of every now and then go back to it and 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 re-engage with it whenever you need to? Or is it just, can you just leave it now for... Yeah, exactly that. I think, I think a lot of things is being more aware of those thoughts, which I am. But obviously, if I'm not leaving the house as much now, it's quite tricky to kind of use those tools. But obviously, hopefully, once the world opens up, meet people again, you can start using it. But yeah, no, it has, it has been really helpful. I think yeah. I mentioned before, I think it's a really good thing to do, which I think most people who do listen is if you Google um, unhelpful thinking habits, just go on Google Images. There's like a real list of there of like loads of habits that we all do, um, which some are more relevant to other some people. But I think I think it's really great. And the stuff that I do now, like comparing stuff to other people. Yeah, of course. Or like making um, mountains over molehills, like exaggerating things. Think about things, thinking about things being as worse as they actually are but yeah it is very helpful and we're all a work in progress aren't we exactly yeah do you think it was a good time 
I was thinking more about that with with lockdown and my initial thought was that I guess it's a really good time to focus on yourself and you know the mental health issues the hiccups that you might want to go back to but then I guess maybe it's also quite a tough time because you can't maybe you're left then to kind of focus on it and you can't get away from it once you've done the work as much is that how you feel or is it is it basically do you think it's been a good time compared to when there would have been social events and stuff going on as well how does it how does it compare i think personally i found it a bit tougher than previously when i've had therapy when the world's been open just because this whole period like obviously like we're all with our thoughts a lot more yeah even before i was doing this like yeah, like we've we talked about our blips in the past, I think. Yeah, it's been fantastic, I think. I don't think I'd have been able to develop mentally without the pandemic, put it that way. I, I think I'm, obviously I've needed like a kick of the backside to kind of like really deal with stuff in the past, which I probably, yeah. like I probably would have brushed in the carpet, like I have done for 29 years until this happened. Um, yeah, yeah. But I've definitely seen the benefits now of obviously dealing with things. Um, I know we've talked in the past about how probably hiccups might have been milder over this pandemic, but it's probably forced us to dig a little deeper into ourselves. I think you just, yeah, I th- like you said, it w- this chance doesn't come. Yeah. yeah. You, you never know when would have been the next time you'd look at it, if ever, if, if you didn't have this moment. So it's kind of, I guess the question doesn't really matter, does it? Because now is the time. So good on you, mate, for Thanks, mate. for doing actually doing it and looking at it. I think it. we both said as well, like, well, it's been over a year since like, the first lockdown. And I think we both kind of said, even when we first started recording this, we just wanted to come out like better mentally, at least on the on the other side of it. Like, who knows? Like we said, we didn't know when it'd end. But oh yeah, I mean, for me, I you know, I might I might look at. I definitely am in CBT. I am interested in um, when we've spoken to people how beneficial that can be just for daily life. Yeah, and it is is something that I do want to do more of, but in a short-term capacity, just this this podcast has been, like comparing my my mindset and the kind of concerns that I had and the thoughts that were going around from day dot when we started doing this to now, there's been, I don't know about you, but it's just been huge, yeah. the change. There's still things, you know, to work on, but um, this whole process has been, has been a huge, you know, step forward. Yeah, and I know, I know this is like, I wouldn't say it's extreme, but like, the way that we're both talking about it is even for me like this has helped me so much just just not even speak obviously great that people come on but just me speaking to you about these things because the same thing with everything like everything related to mental health you're not the only one who has those similar feelings yeah your yeah. circumstances are unique but everyone quite a lot of us have those similar feelings that way. Um, but yeah mate no it has been really good so thanks mate been a good year been a good year thanks to you as well it has been a, it's been a in its weird way it's definitely it's been a better year than it could have been oh massively by, by a long way oh god yeah yeah 100% agree and le- learnt a lot from from you and from the people we've spoken to as well and like you say it's all you're in your own circumstance but at the end of the day you can relate a lot more than than you can't oh huge there's a lot more in, in a lot more in common than not so and no and it's all an, as- it's all an aspect of learning like probably leads on to like today's guest they might have experienced as a female she's experienced things that we as a male probably don't or we won't ever experience you might experience those feelings but yes her circumstances are very unique yeah can't wait to speak to her me neither hey hey
very privileged to have a fantastic lady on today. Uh, Lieutenant Commander Charlotte Fredrickson. So she's been helping out at the HAC and we've been put in touch to have a chat with her. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks. Welcome, Charlotte. Thanks Hi, for th thanks for having me. What, has she been in the Navy for 16 years, was yep. it? And then you're obviously now involved, heavily involved with the rugby side of things, not with just with the HAC, but female rugby in general. Good place to start from is like how you got into the Navy or what, what made you get into it as a child? I'm a politics and history graduate and uh, I, I, I did bear in my degree than I thought I was going to do. So I did a master's as well down in London. And I got so bored of sitting in the library, like reading books and writing essays, because that's all we did back then. And I was like, and then you, you come to the, like, the graduate milk round and it's just like, you go through these assessment centres and it was like six or seven layers of assessment before you met anybody. I thought, you know what, I just thought, I'd always liked the idea of going to sea. So went to the recruitment centre and they were like, oh, oh yeah, cool. Um, have, you ever, have you ever thought about flying? I was like, what? No, no. So they sent me down to uh, Cold Rose, which is a air station down in Helston in Cornwall, where uh, the Navy flies a large number of helicopters out of. And I uh, sort of got to, well, I say I got to go flying. I didn't because the weather was terrible. But I got to sit in a couple of the simulators and I came back and I just thought, you know what, I'm young, well, I'm young enough and fit enough to do something slightly different. I'm going to go and do that. So I joined the Navy as what's called an observer, but it's essentially a helicopter navigator and sensor operator. So that's what I did for the best part of a, a decade uh, straight after I joined up, really. Any exotic locations that you were out to? So I... I was really lucky, actually. I've, I've been, uh, I'd say I've been all over the world with my naval career, not all just flying, but doing different bits and pieces. So I've been to the States loads of times. Like Americans uh, on the East Coast have their big kind of carrier base, loads of fighter jets. So did loads of like fighter control stuff with their sort of F-18s and stuff like that. Went to like Norway and the Baltic with like some NATO stuff, did some big exercises up there. Did sort of counter piracy, counter narcotics stuff. Uh, around the Horn of Africa and into the Gulf, did two tours of Afghanistan, which is odd for the Navy, but land-based in, in Helmand province. And then I've done a couple of like really big like Navy deployments, so all through the bed down. I think the far, furthest east I've got so far is is Goa, which was which was pretty cool. Not gonna lie, quite enjoyed that. What do you reckon was the most dangerous for you personally? What was the most maybe eye-opening? Destination. Oh, uh, well, I mean, Afghanistan was, yeah, it was, was, was both of those things. You know, I, I joined the Navy to fly off the back of a yeah. ship and control jets through the back of my helicopter. And there I was, you know, flying over the middle of the, the desert, watching people do things they shouldn't be doing, carrying things through the desert. Took me a while to get my, to get my head around uh, that one. But in some ways, you know, flying over the sea hundreds of miles from the ship that you're based on um, is as as dangerous as flying over the land in hostile territory. It's just, you know, good good things don't happen if you have to land somewhere you shouldn't. So had some pretty some pretty scary times in some pretty bad weather at sea as well. So of course. Afghanistan is Afghanistan. It's <laughs> dusty. <laughs> I bet a few people are trying to relate now because I bet a lot of people have been, been playing Call of Duty during this lockdown. Call of Duty's got pretty big, actually, mm -hmm. especially in our social group, and everyone's always talking about how how relatable it is. Although it's a computer <laughs> game, it's very, very relatable to what's like in, 
in real life. I couldn't. I, I have the utmost respect to shot. I've. I remember once, like <laughs> when army came into like the army, obviously different. Came to school for like like work experience, getting you in. And I was like, I walked straight past. Yeah, I mean, because I was at you know the job I did. I wasn't you know I, I, I'm not gonna overreg it. You know, wasn't in the middle of the green zone. You know, having people, you know, having people shoot at me. But you know, you are in an area where that happens on a you know happens on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, so it was, you know, stressful just in a very, in a different way to some of the guys who were, I'd say, boots on the ground. What's the uh, training like to get to that state with either physically or just sort of with um, the technical stuff as well? So basic training um, in the Navy is nowhere near as tough potentially as like you would imagine for like Royal Marines and stuff like that because we we tend to do we do a slightly different job. You know, there's not massive mountains to run up and massive packs to carry on a ship. Um, so, but there is a, a standard level of fitness um, and you're expected to maintain that. And then obviously when we went to Afghanistan, it was different because there was, you know, different things, different things to do. But in terms of the technical side of the house, I, I, I joined basic flying training in oh, 2005 and I wasn't fully qualified until 2009 so do start off like you know in the back of an aeroplane looking at radars and stuff learning to navigate then you do it in the helicopter and then once you know how to navigate the helicopter you learn how to fight the helicopter and then you go and do the job sort of as an apprentice you know being watched by the people and then and then they let you go and do it on your own and it's even more freaking terrifying So hardest thing I've ever done. What was like the gender split like? So when you started to like maybe now or how it's developed so over the past? When I joined uh, 750 Squadron, which is the basic training squadron, I think there'd only been five or six women come through, including including me. And then I, but the course I was on, uh, I think there were there were three women in a course of eleven, so pretty good. Actually, pretty good. Uh, there was one female instructor out of. 15 to 20 and then when I went front line I was the only woman on the squad like the only female air crew the only female officer on the squadron there were engineers uh, female engineers on the squadron for my wow. the best part of four years I think but coming in behind behind me there was you know courses after me there were two here one there it's definitely opening up it's you know especially as more girls come through or go or women, I should say, come through have with STEM backgrounds as well, you know, that kind of thing, and interest in engineering. I mean, engineering in the military in general is, is actually a really good career path. You know, it's got it's got well-defined, um, like, progression. It's got good CV accreditation. Mm. You know, wow. if you come from that background, whether it's nuclear, aviation, weapons, stuff, you're kind of set for life. So more and more women are coming through doing that. So... Um, there's not many of us. I think it's it's around about seven to eight percent. I think in the navy. So How many people are in a squadron on general normally? Or um, so the squadron I was in, officers, the officer carder uh, was quite small. Uh, probably, God, testing my memory now, twenty five to thirty. Uh, but the the squadron would have been about a hundred, maybe one hundred and ten, all the engineers included. So it just depends. Depends how big you are, where you're going, really, what you're doing, how many you took. With how you. did you feel being the only female in that small group? Um, so I think 
back in the day, it's a weird one to, to say, like, you, you can look back and reflect and you have an opinion. But at the, at the time, it, you, just, you, just sort of, you just sort of get on and do. It, it, I, I'm not gonna lie, in some ways, massive benefits. As a junior officer, I got to have my own cabin because I was the only, I was the only girl can't share with smelly boys. So uh, I, got, I, got, I got my own cabin and my male peers were sharing sometimes two, three, four to a room. So they were, they were raging. But at the same time, doesn't mean to, but it excludes you because you are separate. You know, so much of what the military does is, is in the margins, you know, just how people talk to each other of an evening or whatever it may be. And if you're not sharing a room, potentially with your peers, you miss out on some of those, you know, some of the in jokes or not that particularly one, they were particularly funny, but, um, <laughs> uh, or just when you're learning and stuff like that, you know, the ability to just chat through with people in your room. But, um, and with most things, it has, it has upsides and downsides. What was the, you'd say, obviously the sort of the technical challenges and the physical challenges. Did you have any, when you first got into the job, did you have any other kind of other challenges that you faced uh either you know just personally dealing with the job maturing into it or or how was that so like i said to you, like i said I'm quite an academic kid at school you know i liked i liked reading did like like reading books and i wrote essays and did all that kind of stuff and i was really good at like exams learning stuff writing it down and then forgetting it like broadly speaking um but flying training isn't like that flying training is very very practical you you'd be in an, you'd be in the aircraft and somebody would be sat here staring at you making sure that you don't do anything that's going to kill everybody um and that was a really different way of learning for me and obviously you can't learn and then dump you have to be able to retain the information so it was a very different way of learning uh, for me which i i'm not gonna lie i i struggled with and i'm also quite I'm also quite shy uh, in some ways and uh, the, the, the actual act of somebody having somebody sat next to me staring at whatever thing I was doing was awful. And to this day, I still don't, you know, I still don't particularly, don't particularly enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, so that, that stuff was really, really tough. And it's, I think that's probably why I found it so hard. It was just a completely different way of doing, doing things. Yeah, I've heard of other colleagues in different jobs where they've had to be monitored like that for like for just to make sure they're getting it and it just it does sound for just so stressful to have someone looking watching you for literally hours and hours at a time to make sure you're doing the right thing yeah as you say to know that your whole career hangs in the balance of it every time they watch you as well so it's sort of pretty pretty stressful how did you get into rugby what's the story there uh so i come from i come from a rugby i come from a rugby family uh so my dad my dad's started playing rugby back in the day when you were allowed to do those things, started playing at 16, you know, proper old school lads rugby. My mum married my dad and just, if she wanted to see him, she had to go to the rugby club. So she's, after 40 years, she's now, she's now a pretty big fan. My dad coached my brother and, uh, and he refereed as well. Um, so uh, it was, it's, it's been in my life, you know, all the time. Um, but as a, as a young as a young girl, back in the day when you only had like four television channels and the rugby, like the Six Nations or the Four Nations as it was then, was on all day on a Saturday afternoon. There was only one telly, there was only four channels. It used to infuriate me that dad used to make me watch it 
So I, I never bothered with rugby. That's not true. I played minis for a while and it was like the parting of the seven seas. Every time I had the ball, just everyone just got out of the way. Because um, that's back in the day when you could, <laughs> you could do like full contact scrummaging with four-year-olds as well. So I kind of left it and then I got back into it when I was at university, actually. Um, I sort of was going around the Freshers' Fair and um, <laughs> back then the, the rugby girls were like, we really need players, come come play for us. I was like, well, they seem, they seem like they want me to, they want me to be involved. So, so I went down and um, they just turned out to be a great, a really great group of girls who I'm still friends with. Um, uh, some of them now but it turns out I was I was all right at it you know and actually got to the point where I hadn't done much sport at school um, and I just really enjoyed like you guys do just really enjoyed running around <laughs> a couple of nights a week you know and then the coaching side how did you progress into that did you when did you stop playing or are you, are you still playing now uh, not formally I probably should give up because I'm pretty old and it all hurts. And luckily, you don't need to move me, need me to move my head because it's pretty robotic. Um, but uh, so I got, how did I get into coaching? So when I was living in Cornwall, um, I played for Penryn very briefly. At that point, I was playing. I got through to kind of the region, like the regional setup, and the girls at the club asked me whether or not I'd help out with some of the coaching. So they they sort of put me on what was back then the level one course. Um, so kind of, so sort of put my toe in the water then. And then through playing, like I've played for the Navy ever since I joined up. So, and there's been some coaching opportunities there through the year. And then I did my, I did my level two through the military as well. They were really good and they paid for it, which is great. Um, and then I kind of got into a bit more formally when I knew that, I was coming to the end of playing at a reasonable level and I just couldn't I couldn't see myself give up if you know what I mean like has your dad ever watched you play because this is a personal thing I would hate it if my dad was a referee and came to watch you play because he'd be in my ear the whole time afterwards yeah my credit to my, my parents would come to the opening of an envelope if I invited them so oh, nice. um they um <laughs> They, they've been huge supporters all the way through. They love coming. They, they, they've come to some of the Navy stuff because some of the Navy stuff we've got, we've been able to do some pretty, some pretty cool games. Um, so they come, come. They love a, they love a day out. But um, shows how old school it is. I remember the first proper game I played for the Navy. I got, um, I got player of the match. And back in the day when it was okay to down pints and do all that kind of thing and down the pint and sort of. Won, won the boat race kind of thing and remember my dad turned around to me and said oh, I don't know whether I'm disappointed or proud in you right now so <laughs> <laughs> so but um yeah no they they, they come along uh dad is a pretty harsh critic I'm not gonna lie you know you do 100 you know 99 things right and he'll remember the the one that the ball you knocked on classic. standard <laughs> classic 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 dad but I also find I also find the ones who are the slowest pointers are the best players that's what I say. I don't think that's a should take as a compliment, Charlotte. I'm just speaking from experience. When you say yeah. you've been some quite cool games in the Navy, because obviously when people think about Navy, Army, they all just think about the big game at Twickenham. But then you must have, do you play, I don't get, so do you play other other navies or is it like, I don't, 
how was the concept about? So the women, the women, we play the inter-services as well. So we play the army as well. So um, on Army Navy Day, this isn't how it's going to happen moving forward because had COVID not happened, we would have played at Twickenham um, uh, last year. Last year, yeah, we would have played at Twickenham last year. Mm. It's like the first time ever in Royal Navy women's rugby or well, in military rugby. But normally, what we do is we play at a place called Nella Hall, which is about two hundred yards down the road from Westgate. And in true sort of forces style, about ten thousand people come through the gates to watch us. And I say watch. They come through to have a picnic and get booze before they go to the main game. But about 10,000 people came through the gates. Um, so, I mean, and that's just cool. That's just a cool, it's just a cool day out. You know, there's loads of people that are there. They watch, they yell at you from the sidelines for good and for bad. Um, and then we also play um, the Marine Nationale, which is the French, which is the French Navy. So they've come here, we go there. Uh, there's so the men play at Stade Mile, where Toulon play. Um, we play at a uh, we play down the road at a municipal stadium, but still still a really good stadium and part of the day and everything. But what's different about that is you're allowed to play the national anthem. So you stand there, they play "God Save the Queen," "Le Marseillaise," and then essentially we go we go and fight under the guise of rugby. <laughs> I've got the blood the blood's <laughs> pumping already. Thinking of that. Yeah, that that must be an unbelievable feeling to go and play uh, un, with in for your uniform for the navy yeah, against another. I navy, mean, yeah. it's I mean it's brilliant. Like, like you know, you sort of stand there, and it's just sort of comes out. It's brilliant. Um, and then I've been also very lucky to play uh, for the UK Armed Forces as well. And we've played. Um, so we played at no, is it Cardiff Arms Park? Is it the one that's behind the big stadium? Yeah. So we played there. Yeah. We played. We played Wales there uh, which is great and then a couple of years ago we had uh south africa come on tour so again got to stand there in my in my shirt they played god save the queen and then the south african national anthem so those kind of things have been just 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 yeah. madness brilliant and some of, some of my closest friends you know are, are people i've met through those through those experiences it's great that uh, the Navy game now will have the women's game at the same time. Hopefully, that obviously that will go ahead next time they get the chance yeah. to do it. But that's, that sounds like a great opportunity because to get the crowds in as well, and then watching both games should be a, more more drinks than just the <laughs> men's game. I think that's hard, quite hard to do for what I've heard. But if it's possible to even have another game as well, they've changed the format a little bit. So we're going to play. We're going to play afterwards. But it's. I mean, it's it's amazing for us. We you know. From from having when I started, I mean, I remember the first ever game I played for the Navy. I wore one of those old school cotton shirts. Do you remember those oh, back in the day? The old cotton traders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it came down to my knees. It probably weighed more than me when it was wet and covered in mud. You know, we were just sort of a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a, sort of a, an add-on to now sort of be just staring down the the barrel of playing at Twickenham, which England women don't get to do that often. You know is 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 crazy and I, I tried my best to hold on as a player i tried i tried but it's just with covid it's all just a little bit too far but i'm very lucky i'm the head coach of the women so i get to sit in eddie jones's seat and watch him watch him do it have no control and it's gonna be horrific <laughs> oh you know you never know you never know how you're gonna feel when you come out of lockdown 
you might they might get get another season. You feel good. You feel everything's not aching as much. Just see how you feel. Yeah. Well, looking at um, sort of where women are, I guess, moving out a bit more to a more topical discussion at the moment, we've had the um, the Sarah Everard story come out over the last couple of weeks or so. And there's obviously, you know, there's a huge political dimension to it and a lot of policy being discussed. And we're going to kind of just park that, I guess, and just focus on, you know, your response to it, you know, your emotional response, what your your thoughts are on maybe the case itself or just maybe a broader picture of your experience um if you've had things similar to that or or not um it'd be great to just hear you you know your thoughts on it and then we can come in and, and talk about it a bit more if you're happy with that yeah um so i think i think it's always interesting with these things what is what happens to be the tipping point and in this point it, it appears that the sarah everard you know murder was was that was that tipping point so i I, I will go, I'm not gonna lie. I, I was slow to to hear the story. Um, I, I've sort of stopped listening to the news sometimes because I was so bored of the COVID stuff. Um, that I was a bit yeah. slow to kind of pick up on it. And but it's really interesting to see. It was really interesting to sort of hear the story. You know, just just walking home and never made it. So um, in that sense, I I think you realise in some ways how lucky you you feel how lucky you are because it's not happened to you and. There are, you know, there are things I've thought back on where I sit and think, oh goodness, how much, how much risk did I put myself at by doing that? You know, nights we've been out in the pub and too tight to pay for a taxi, so I've walked home. But in actual fact, like you won't, you think, oh, oh, so what kind of position did I put myself in? But I think, I think it's just like I say, just it's an interesting mm-hmm. that it appears to be just that that tip of a very a much bigger iceberg. I mean, in the press today about you know rape cultures in schools. You know that it's still it's still broadly going on. So, uh, in terms of my own personal I- experiences, I again, I don't want to say lucky mm. because that makes it sounds like it's we should all of us should not have to have gone through those things. So, I shouldn't feel lucky for, for for it not having happened to me. Yeah. But can I say that I've been subject to you know casual misogyny, sexual harassment? Then then yes, you know um, those things things happen and back at you know back when I went through fly training some of the things that happened within what you would consider to be a professional environment were just it, it sort of accepted by myself as well I, I I didn't I didn't know to kind of that that was not okay which I know sounds ridiculous no not at all that's 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 kind of I think that is the the kind of theme that's coming out from you know from other women is that you know this whether it's, I mean, the school case, I think these things are all linked, aren't they? You know, the, the, what's coming on now and what's coming out of schools and what's going on in society in general. There's there's not enough, uh, there's not promotion of girls at school being taught that this is not okay. And, you know, these, you should look out for these a lot more. And um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's clearly not happening. I was speaking actually to my sister about this, um, you know, a, a week ago, and she gave a, a story which kind of, I thought really captured the, the the issue to an extent which was that she went to a girls school and she was um you know she remembers an assembly where the teachers would say to the girls okay well you know you've got to watch out for you know the van 
down the road, you know, with the man around there, you know, you got to stay away from that and be careful with these areas. And, and there's not to sort of dismiss schools looking out for girls, but it's just, we're at a stage now you can look at the nuances of how you talk to girls about this. And it's to say to them, you know, these areas you just can't go to and, you know, that's a bad area. There are bad areas, but it's not fixing the issue. You know, there was no discussion about let's go and, you know, remove that threat or let you know why aren't we getting assistance here or things like that and that kind of just crystallized it for me that and I know cases where you know girls they're expected to be uh to to they should avoid themselves from the situations rather than looking at why are we not looking at these situations and fixing them as just a kind of general overview of it I'd agree with that you know like it's so much easier in some of these senses to treat the symptoms you know which is don't go there don't wear that you know, put the plaster of it rather than treat treat the causes. And you know, I've done it done it myself. You know, you behave in a certain way to get to get by, to sort of go unnoticed. But I kind of get the feeling with things like the Me Too campaign, as well as all of these things, that they're broadly speaking are just a bit tired of it. Not to make too nervous, but you know, but bit like the Black Lives Matter stuff. So people are just bored, yeah. bored of having to explain, like. How can, I, how can I explain it? So one of the things that really infuriates me, and this is on a really small level, but things that really bother me, it's like, why do I have to continually explain myself to you? Like, who are you? That means that I have to explain myself to you um, about why I am credible or why I, you know, deserve to be here. Um, and I find, I find that kind of stuff really frustrating you know like constantly having to explain to people that that's not okay to say that or like really have you really thought about thought about what you're saying there that, that I find that I just find sometimes I can find that find that exhausting um and boring a lot of the time you know at the lowest level it's boring and on the other hand it's it can be quite you know rude and offensive and, and frightening at times you know and I think we just we let so much of the small stuff go and that just compounds into some of this bigger stuff obviously not to direct it at you at you guys but at the last club I was at was the only woman in the whatsapp chat some of the messaging mm. that goes on you're like like oh like like talking about by like getting getting guys prostitutes for their birthdays there's an 18 or you know sort you out get you laid all that kind of stuff well not only is that like not stuff I want to listen to but what does it say about acceptance of that group for people with different sexualities as well? I don't know that that guy's heterosexual. Might be, you know, he might not be, might not be into that yeah. stuff or whatever. So That was big for you when you posted the photo and I was in the group with the candles and stuff. Because you might be surprised here, but you're the only female <laughs> in that group as well. So like, we, it's kind of the best thing about HAC I find is everyone's pretty educated. Everyone's like, and then when we saw, like, when I personally saw you come in as like a coach, I was like, this is like the next step for us. Like this, this is what we should have been doing years ago, but it's great that we've turned like a pro- progressive nature. And that was like, it's obviously great yeah. to see. I think it's always that thing of like, that stereotype of rugby. Like when, even when you're, even when we, me and James, we both had rugby at uni. And even afterwards, like even in the workplace, everyone would be like, when people found out I played rugby, they were like, oh, what? Like, do you just get like naked and like do all I was like, no, we didn't. Not all the time, but like no, not, not just that. Not <laughs> just that. <laughs> but, but that's it's true though. Like, occasionally, and I always say this. I was like, especially so. At uni had four teams. That's at least eighty blokes. You've got at least eighty blokes in the room. Like, 
laws of probability, like you're going to have a few knobheads in there. Like it's all like wolf fact mentality. But people often find like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. There's stuff that people need to do better, but it's not just a rugby thing. It's a it's a male thing as well. No. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, things like that really make me laugh because it, you know, I came down a while back and, and I just came to sort of watch training. This was even before. And I remember um, one of one of you came up to me and said, uh, you, got, you got any tape? Like no, like you're really like uh, so, no. Hmm. It's like, well, you're a shit physio. <laughs> like, well, I'm not a physio first and foremost. Um, I'm here as a, I'm here as one of the coaches, and that's happened to me a couple of times where I've been at like my, the last club I was at. The ref came in and he again was like, you, you got any got any tape I could borrow? I was like, no, I'm one of the coaches. Oh, oh, sorry. Like, so stuff like that makes. And me you laugh. should have to accept it. I know what you mean. Like, especially said before, like. It's tough because you say you, you want to accept it. You don't want to accept it, but you have to because you don't want to cause, I don't know, you, you feel as if you don't want to cause like a, a commotion about it, but sometimes you've got, you got to correct people. Yeah, I think one of the worst ones I ever had in terms of stuff like that was uh, I was I was coaching. I was, it was match day, so I was like in the in the coaches' books and then there were um, spectators behind me and, and the, lads, the lads weren't playing very well. And, uh, and the, this guy just yelled, you know, what like what the f are you doing? You're playing like a bunch of girls. I was like, I turned around. I was like, so, like, what's wrong with playing like girls? Yeah. yeah, what's wrong with that? You know. And he's like, oh, they're just not playing very well. I was like, I'll tell you what. Having played women's rugby, like, the standard that we play is much better than what's on this pitch right now, actually. You know. And and he's like, well, I'm only joking. I was like, yeah, but there's other women from the club in earshot yeah. of of you. So, like, I, I, you know, sort of feel that as the coach, I have a responsibility to call that stuff out, you know. The fact that it turned out to be one of the major sponsors for the club and dad of one of the first team players, not, not ideal. And had I known that, I might have dealt with it in a different way. But it doesn't, it doesn't, change, it doesn't change the point. That, but that, that, shouldn't, that, that shouldn't, no. Unfortunately, it's sad that, that it takes someone like you to to change attitudes. I presume from when you you started at this last club or the club before, your time there to then either when you leave or, you know, do, do those attitudes, do you see those attitudes changing when you, obviously you shouldn't have to make those kind of um, call, out, call out people like that. But do you find it does change or do you find it's just sort of stuck that there is a, there is a kind of bigger problem, not just in rugby clubs, but, you know, sport, you know, sport, in football as well, I'm sure they have the same issue that needs to be addressed in in a more, you know, fundamental way. Yeah, I think I think it, it's one of those things. It, it has to change. Like the the tide of public opinion has to change so that that everybody, like a bit like you know, back in the day when people used to either drink or drive or they drive without their seatbelts on. That was for well, that was perfectly socially acceptable, and then it wasn't. And it's going to take everybody you know, broadly speaking, or the vast majority of people to be in a position where they they genuinely don't think that that stuff's okay and and therefore don't allow it to continue, if you see what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the nice things about, about rugby that I've found, especially coaching men's sides for the most part, is that there is a, there is a distinction. You do have to you do have to prove your credibility in a way that if I was a male coach, I probably wouldn't have to, especially with 
the sort of rugby pedigree that I have, I, I, I still have to prove myself until I'm on the pitch. And to, But actually, for the most part, when people listen to you coach and talk to you about the game, it then just becomes about the rugby for the most part, which I, which I love, you know, because we can just, you know, we can talk tactics and would you do this, would you do that? Just the stuff that, some of the stuff that I, that I really love. But the biggest thing I have, I have found is when you have people who would, or, or guys I would say, who would consider themselves to be sort of an alpha male, publicly challenged by you as a woman, that's, that's, that, that couple of times that proved very, you know, very, very difficult. And some of the, the reaction you get, you think, well, is that because of the content of what I've said or is it because it's coming from me? because actually I'm coming from a coaching perspective and trying to give you feedback on your performance, but it's not, it's not gone down too well. Do you feel as if you, you're always starting like a, a step back? Or do you always feel as if you're, you're a bit of a step behind because you're female or like, because you're female trying to give feedback, you think they might not respect? Um, I think, I, I think, I think sometimes, it, it's certainly in the beginning, like when I first started coaching men, I was very nervous. You know, I'm a firm believer in that you've got to fake it till you make it. But like deep down inside, I was, I was pretty nervous about it. But that was some ways that was more to do with my preconceptions about the level of men's rugby, if you, if you know what I mean, and what the expectations were and what people could handle. But I think the, the other thing I've learned and what I learned through the, the course is it's much easier to, like when you're giving feedback and you know it's going to be difficult, is that just stick to the facts. I, I don't, you know, it's not about how I feel about their performance. It's about the deliverables yeah. on their performance. And that's why I think things like, from a coaching perspective, things like setting targets and clear clear boundaries are really important because then when you want to have those conversations, you say, well, in this position, I've asked you to do A, B, and C, and, and you haven't delivered against those. And I can show you that you haven't delivered. So let's let's talk about how we can make those things better rather than having things like, well, I just don't think you've played very well or I didn't like the way you do that. And then most people, if you can give them evidence-based reasoning, that they're much better, they're much easier to sort of deal with it, if that makes sense. Going back to before, Charlotte, when you were saying like, like as a female coaching men, like even within the, like the working environment, like my first job here, my first career job in London was like, the first time I had like a female boss, which for me, like it just took a bit of getting used to because I hadn't had that before, which was, it wasn't like a sense of like a hierarchy. It was just a sense of like, I don't know, like like she'd give me banter, I'd give it back. And then, I don't know, she might not have taken it away. I was like, oh shit. Like probably just because I don't know how to deal, like probably <laughs> dealt with this like a mate. But yeah, like I think it is just, it's an education for a lot of blokes. Like like me as well. Like obviously I had a mum, I had like three brothers. And I think those times, when you obviously look back over the last few weeks reflecting on yourself and obviously you think, yeah, you shouldn't have probably said that, but you probably didn't have someone there to maybe tell you off. Cause I just, I just remember this. I was like 15 years old. We went to a sevens tournament and obviously like, it's not my proudest moment, but we were playing after the, the girls had played and basically we were warming up and then we were just chatting to the ref next. And I was like, Oh, that ref, like, if you had to take one of the, one of these girls and like, one of these women on a date, who'd you take? And then he was like, I can send you off right now. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then to, and I, to, I, to, I was pretty uh, grateful. I was pretty grateful my teacher was there because I didn't really get it. I was like, why is he trying to send me off? I, and then the teacher was like, you can't. So I was like, ah. Oh. But I was like 56. But I was like, 
It was like the penny dropped. I was like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. And you obviously don't think of it because, you know, I'm a young kid just like still at school playing rugby with you or your mates. But I'm very yeah. grateful looking back that I had that. If you've got um, a male or female teacher or, you know, adult or someone who, I, I, there's a couple sort of like that that just, you just remember them and then you move on and then you learn. That's kind of, my learning experience is quite similar to, to Meshi's. And I think just this whole time at the moment with this bring it back to Sarah Everard and the, the the social media and the the scale of it I think there'll be men who are listening to that and they'll feel you know provoked in some way and I, I think that that's it's only a good thing to just self just interrogate yourself and think about you and this is one of those you know it's a lot of things but one of the things it is is it is an educational moment it's a chance for men to really look into their attitudes you know and uh, there's a handful of times I've done that in the past and this is another one and it's a growing stage and I think if you at the least if for men anyway taking that away from this situation then that's that's all you can do and then and then you look at it when it comes up in situations then you can be that person maybe to then say to other people and then that's just that's how that's how it works so I can I can relate to to um Amesh's kind of experience and I think there's a lot of finger pointing sometimes that you know they point teachers and then they point at you know what's on the internet that you know that boys can get hold of now you know to to skew their view of women and I still think that it's it's parents and it's it's um colleagues and it's it's people you meet day in day out you know you can't point it at larger systems so much I don't think it's it's day-to-day interactions, isn't it, at the end of the day? And if, if everyone just does their best to look at those, then we'll move it on from a ground level rather than, you know, bombarding it down. But I can see how, you know, some men who don't appreciate that will feel like, oh, God, what have I done wrong now? You know, oh, it's one of those, you know, trigger moments that I've got to um, call out everything. And, you know, it's it, it's about getting, I think, the proportion right on, on the men's side of it anyway. I don't know how you feel about, about that. I suppose I think that, you know, if you're going to talk about things like essentially what we talk about misogyny and, you know, sexual violence against women, that's, that's in my mind, that's one half of the coin. The other half of the coin is, you know, toxic masculinity and how we change, how we change that, you know, that sort of stuff. I mean, so so much lately about, you know, about men's, men's mental health, young men unable to sort of look after themselves, high suicide rates, all that kind of stuff. I see them as two sides of the same coin, you know, that actually sometimes, the, you know, the misogyny and the sexual violence is, is, an, is, is an expression yeah. of that toxic masculinity and you can't solve one without the other. So we have to tackle it from, from both sides because clearly just men you have to change and I can't be bothered how to tell you isn't, isn't going to help anyone because lots of these people, you know, lots of people are in the round are struggling with, with mental health issues and, and difficulties around that. And, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of change for a lot of people. And, and then it's all bound up with other things such as, you know, educational attainment, where you, you know, in terms of how much money your family has and, you know, and, and things like that, you know, whether you're, you're white or whether you're from a BAME background, all of those things interlink and you you can't change everything but you have to understand that i i I personally believe you have to understand that all those things are interconnected yeah Yeah, sure i'd like to think people listen to this like 
have a lot of self-reflection as well. After all the events with Sir Avril, I think I actually thought about where things I'd do innately without thinking about it. So, like, for example, if I went for drinks with some of my girlmates, I'd be like, oh, text me when you get home. Like, I wouldn't go to bed until they text me or, like, say, I'm at home. But you, that's just how you can be brought up. But then, actually, you probably didn't realise why why you actually say that. But you're actually saying that because you want to make sure they get home safely. Like, Yeah, I don't know. It's quite a lot of, like, quite happy that you said, like, the whole Black Lives Matter thing as well, Charlotte, to an extent of, obviously, it's, it's the same but different. Like, it's a lot of self-reflecting. People probably realised, oh, like, there's a lot of judgment I've had previously, a lot of actions I've had without having to look deeper into ourselves. And obviously COVID's a great time to have done all these things to take time out and take a step back. But I like to think 100% it'll come out for the better. Because I remember speaking to like my like my guys' WhatsApp groups definitely changed over the last few years, probably because we've matured yeah. as well. But not like I compared to compared yeah. to what we used to have like school and stuff, like <laughs> Yeah, agreed. it's changed so much. It's obviously it's just it's growing up as well. But even the last few weeks, it was great to to speak. How are you? How do you think you're going to feel, Charlotte, when you come after what you, you know, sort of post Sarah Everard? These discussions that are going on now, and how we're looking at society and how it how it treats women in all kinds of areas. When you come back out, are you going to feel safer because of them? Do you think, or is it too early to tell? Really, before you enter, I think it's. I think it's possibly a little bit too early to tell in some ways but I would like to think that people in in the one hand people would be a little bit more observant about maybe things that are going on um, and and see it and therefore and actually feel empowered to intervene in whatever way uh, in whatever way that may be um one of the best pieces of advice I ever got which was actually from a from a book was you know if I if somebody's doing something that makes me feel uncomfortable like I tend to just say like, oh, oh, there's no need to be rude because as British people, we hate being called rude. You can be a racist, misogynist bigot, but call me rude and, and I'm going to have a minute. So I found that's been quite, you know, it's been quite helpful when people have said, it's like, oh, oh, there's no need to be rude. And all of a sudden it, it's like a check. And um, I found that, I found that's, that's got me out of a lot of trouble actually. So, <laughs> yeah, because that's all it is. It's just, you know, just, you just be rude in a specific way, you know. Yeah, it's like yeah, you ticked yeah. many, There's many all kinds of rudeness, and you've ticked one of those boxes. <laughs> I won't say which one, but yeah, exactly. Many. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you get to go away and have a reflect about why why I might that person might have found that rude. Then you second guessing yourself, so. like, why you, why you called me rude? Why are they smart? Yeah, but it, I mean, it goes. I probably shouldn't tell us so, but it goes both ways. Like, because women can be just as bad. Because, so I was on board a ship, and uh, one one of the juniors got in trouble because he made a passing comment about about a female in the mess queue. Rightly was was called up about it, but he made a good point. He was like, "Look, you know, we do the Royal Marines who are on board. It's like we do squad PT three days a week in the hangar." Uh, and the women, the women all sit and watch us do it. I was like, it goes both ways, you know. Like it is just as inappropriate for the women to sit there and objectify the guys, just as as it is for that guy to say, you know, uh, bad things about her. Although, in rough terms, if there's women around, 
heterosexual guys, they'll lift heavier. Do they? Yeah, per- apparently so. I've, I've started training. I've started training harder. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I've been making that extra fitness session. You know, it's really. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm joking as well. It makes sense. I yeah. I guess asking about the the, the vigil and, and the candle lighting, you know, of just expressing how you, you know you feel about that situation. What, what were your thoughts when you were posting on our it is all male? Yes, it is apart from you on that on that WhatsApp group. What was you um to say what were you thinking? That sounds actually like what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> what were you thinking there? But um but what were you yeah, I would like to know what your what, I'm sure yeah, what your thoughts were about it and how you feel about the whole the movement in general as well. So I think from a from a personal level, I, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, I thought long and hard about whether or not I wanted to I, I wanted to I wanted to do it, whether or not uh, I wanted to be vulnerable to you guys like that you know it's you know I, I'm not a big social media fan anyway or, or poster like that so this takes a lot to get me over the line to put something in anyway but so I thought long and hard about it and I, I don't I don't know many of you particularly well and there were you know sort of some some thoughts about oh you know is this going to go is this going to go down all right you know what's the reaction going to be um but then at the same time the interactions I've had with you guys, I thought, well, like, like, I, I sort of knew that I wasn't going to get anything horrific back, if you know what I mean. Um, so I just thought, but you've, if, if you want people to to sort of change, you've got to put yourself out there as well. And I just thought, considering how close it is to where we've trained, and that was the thing that got me, is like, I walk through that park, you know, I walk through that park on a Saturday, to come and train with you guys and I'm my own business nine times out of ten I've got my headphones on I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing yeah and I know that happened to her late at night but you know actually there's a lot of stuff that goes on in crowds where it's easier to be close to people you know where stuff like that happens so um but I'm really glad I did it because I think actually some of the responses I got back were great and I just think you know we should just got to put yourself out there a little bit if you want you can't sit there and moan that nothing changes when you don't do anything about it yourself if you know what I mean um yeah 100 I think the most the most development is when you probably have these tough conversations with yourself like when you said then like you were nervous about posting it yet when you posted it the response was fantastic it's the biggest development you can have is when you dig deep and I was like even when they say everything like just as a bloke I felt terrible over that past week I like spoke to all my girl mates and I was like, obviously I knew, I knew it was a thing, but I just spoke to, I just asked them if they're all right. And it's the same thing. It's like, it's a big sort of like self-reflection. Yeah. You, you're obviously aware of the huge like social movement that's going on around you. I think some, there's sometimes when I c- can sometimes slip into the kind of mindset of, oh, you know, I'm feeling attacked from everywhere is when someone close to you or, you know, says it so with the black lives matter stuff it was when larry spoke and i and it just you just personalized all of the issues right there and i think you doing that was was huge because i think for a lot of guys who they may see lots of posts online but they might not know the people to have someone they now you know know and they coach by do that i think was was huge because i think it does personalize that movement and then they 
like off the back in the mess. He said he, he spoke to his girlfriend. So I spoke to my sister about this. I've never spoken to her about that ever for the first time. Like, how do you feel? You know, what was school like for you? How was it? Um, so I, I just, I, I know that a lot of the boys on that group will have gone and had those conversations. And before they may have just been a bit like, oh, I'll just sort of dodge it and, you know, it will pass over kind of thing. So uh, it's definitely the right thing to do. I think it's where, it's where it starts, isn't it? You know, there's small, the small steps as much as the, the big bits, if you know what I mean. No pressure, Charlotte, but you've, you've got to stay now. You can't just, you can't just drop that <laughs> in the group and leave. You've got to stay around the Only there. post I've ever put in there. <laughs> Yeah, and then Charlotte's yeah, yeah. left the group. <laughs> 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 my, my, my work is done. <laughs> no, yeah. On, on to the next one, the group just going around. <laughs> 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 right, last bit. Flip a coin. The loser's got to do a song, a sorry, a joke. Oh, is it all Trip three? Oh, no, no said, yeah. I mean, you can no. if you want. You've what? got a choice. <laughs> it's like a variety show. <laughs> Half an hour. <laughs> Ventriloquism. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like Britain's got um, talent. Uh, is, yeah. is it you and Charlotte? Yes, it's me. It's me, it's me and Charlotte. So you can call it in the air, Charlotte. Heads. Tails. Okay. Uh, okay. So I fought, I fought long and hard about this. Like long and hard. Um, so. What is ET short for? Because he's got little legs. Genuinely, the best I could do. Um, um, yeah, because uh, I can't sing. How long were you thinking about? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> well, I can't. I can't sing, and some of my stories are not for public consumption. <laughs> Um, no, thank you so much, That's Charlotte. That's all right. Yes. You're very welcome. Please follow and share us on Instagram and Twitter at All Chats Pod with a space.